Section 8 of the History of Prostitution. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Philip Panos. The History of Prostitution by William Sanger. Section 8. Chapter 6. France. History during the Middle Ages. The Roman accounts of the Gauls represent them as leading virtuous lives. Severa matrimonia is the expression of the historian. This would appear to apply more particularly to the women than to the men. As is usually the case among semi-civilized nations, the Gauls, Germans, Franks, and most of the aboriginal nations of northern Europe imposed upon the women obligations of chastity which they did not always accept for themselves. Adultery, and in certain cases fornication they punished capitally but if the early ecclesiastical writers are to be believed these rude warriors were addicted to coarse debaucheries in which intoxicating liquors and promiscuous intercourse with females played a prominent part the feasts which followed victories in the field or commemorated national anniversaries bore some resemblance to the roman commissationes though of course they lacked the refinement and the wit which occasionally strove to redeem those disgraceful banquets so far as the females were concerned there is no doubt the roman writers judged correctly whether the severity of the climate tempered the ardour of northern sensuality or the harshness of the law kept the passions in check the female population of gaul from the time of the roman conquest for at least two or three centuries was undoubtedly virtuous prostitution was comparatively unknown an old law or usage directed that prostitutes should be stoned but we do not hear of this law being carried into effect simultaneously with the consolidation of the kingdom of the franks we note that concubinage was an established institution recognized by the law and sanctioned by the church all the frank chiefs who could afford the luxury kept harems or as they were called in that day gynesia peopled by young girls who ministered to their pleasures the plan as it appears bore some resemblance to that which is at present in use in turkey and some other mohammedan countries the chief had one lawful and proper wife a sort of sultana valide and other wives whose matrimonial rights were less clearly defined but still whose condition was not necessarily disreputable how the people lived we are not so well qualified to say but no doubt prostitution prevailed to some extent among them though in all probability the public morals were purer than they became towards the tenth and eleventh centuries perhaps the first authentic legislative notice of prostitution in france is to be found in the capitularies of charlemagne that monarch who seems to have seen no mischief in the system of gynesia was severe upon common prostitution he directed vulgar prostitutes to be scourged and a like penalty to be inflicted on all who harboured them kept houses of debauch or lent their assistance to prostitutes or debauchees in other words charlemagne treated the same act as a crime among the poor and as an excusable habit among the rich our information regarding society in the middle ages is necessarily obscure and scanty but we have enough to learn that immorality prevailed to an alarming degree during the tenth eleventh twelfth and thirteenth centuries 
probably the rich men who had their gynecia were the most virtuous class in the nation most of the kings set an example of loose intercourse with the ladies of the court the armies of the time were noted for the ravages they committed among the female population of the countries where they were quartered both of these classes seem to have yielded the palm of debauchery to the clergy it is a fact well known to antiquaries though visual evidence of it is becoming scarce that most of the great works of gothic architecture which date from this period were profusely adorned with lewd sculptures whose subjects were taken from the religious orders in one place a monk was represented in carnal connection with a female devotee in others were seen an abbot engaged with nuns a naked nun worried by monkeys youthful penitents undergoing flagellation at the hands of their confessor lady abbesses offering hospitality to well-proportioned strangers etc etc these obscene works of art formerly encumbered the doors windows arches and niches of many of the finest gothic cathedrals in france modesty has lately insisted on their removal but many of the works themselves have been rescued from destruction by the zeal of antiquaries and it is believed some have still escaped the iconoclastic hand of the modern church when such was the condition of the clergy and such the notoriety of that condition it would be unjustifiable to expect purity of morals among the people louis the eighth made an effort to regulate prostitution it proved fruitless and it was left to the next king of the same name louis the ninth to make the first serious endeavour to check the progress of the evil in france his edict which dates from twelve fifty four directed that all prostitutes and persons making a living indirectly out of prostitution such as brothel keepers and procurers should be forthwith exiled from the kingdom it was partially put in force a large number of unfortunate females were seized and imprisoned or sent across the frontier severe punishments were inflicted on those who returned to the city of paris after their expulsion a panic seized the customers of brothels and for a few months public decency was restored but the inevitable consequences of the arbitrary decree of the king soon began to be felt though the officers of justice had forcibly confined in establishments resembling magdalen hospitals a large proportion of the most notorious prostitutes and exiled many more others arose to take their places a clandestine traffic succeeded to the former open debauchery and in the dark the evils of the disease were necessarily aggravated more than that as has usually been the case when prostitution has been violently and suddenly suppressed the number of virtuous women became less and corruption invaded the family circle tradesmen complained that since the passage of the ordinance they found it impossible to guard the virtue of their wives and daughters against the enterprises of the military and the students at last complaints of the evil effects of the ordinance became so general and so pressing that after a lapse of two years it was repealed a new royal decree re-established prostitution under rules which though not particularly enlightened or humane still placed it on a sounder footing than it had occupied before the royal attention had been directed to the subject 
prostitutes were forbidden to live in certain parts of the city of paris were not allowed to wear jewellery or fine stuffs and were placed under the direct supervision of a police magistrate whose official or popular title was le roi de ribaud the king of ribaldry the duties of this officer appear to have been analogous to those of the roman ediles who had charge of prostitution he was empowered to arrest and confine females who infringed the law either in their dress their domicile or their behaviour it was afterward urged against the maintenance of the office of roi de ribaud that it was usually filled by reckless depraved men who discharged its duties more in view of their private interests and the gratification of their sensuality than from regard to the public morals instances of gross tyranny were proved against them and in the absence of evidence to show that their appointment had been beneficial to the public but little regret was felt when the office was abolished by francis i to return to louis the ninth in his old age he repented of what he had done and returned to the spirit of his early ordinance in his instructions to his son and successor he adjured him to remove from his country the shameful stain of prostitution and indicated plainly enough that the best mode of attaining that end would be by re-enacting the ordinance of twelve fifty four philip dutifully fulfilled his father's request prostitution was again declared a legal misdemeanor and a formidable array of penalties was again brought to bear against offending females and their accomplices but like many a legislative act in more modern times philip's ordinance was too obviously at variance with public policy and popular sentiment to be carried into effect it was quietly allowed to remain a dead letter and with probably few exceptions the prostitutes of paris pursued their calling unmolested a few years afterward its nullification was authoritatively sanctioned by fresh sumptuary laws a royal edict directed courtesans to wear a shoulder-knot of a particular colour as a badge of their calling the whole force of the government was rallied to enforce this rule and also those which had been enacted by louis the ninth the records of the court contain innumerable reports of the arrests of prostitutes for violating these enactments when they had taken up their abode in a prohibited street they were imprisoned and dislodged when their offence was wearing unlawful garments or jewellery the forbidden objects were seized and sold the constable apparently sharing the proceeds of the sale pimps and procurers were dealt with more severely as usual the statute book contained a variety of conflicting enactments on this subject and menaced them with all kinds of penalties from burning alive to fine and imprisonment it appears beyond a doubt that during the thirteenth and fourteenth centuries several notorious procuresses were burned alive at paris others were put in the pillory were scourged and had their ears cropped while many of the richer class escaped with a fine there are records of cases in which the procuress was exposed naked to the insults of a mob for a whole day and toward evening the hair on her body was burned off with a flaming torch others again were chased through the city in a state of nudity and pelted with stones these barbarous penalties appear to have been very much to the taste of the people 
procuresses have always been an odious class and it is not surprising to find the punishment of a notorious wretch of the class was observed as a joyous holiday by the populace of the french capital on the other hand the prostitutes themselves were often subjects of public sympathy peculiar reasons operated at this period to produce a favourable sentiment with regard to prostitutes the horrible depravities of the templars were becoming known society was horror-struck at the symptom of a revival of the worst vice of the ancients there have been as is known ingenious and eloquent efforts made in comparatively recent times to throw a veil over the corruptions of the templars and to prove they fell victims to royal jealousy but the argument is not sustained by the facts documents on whose authenticity and credibility no possible suspicion can be cast establish incontrovertibly that the sect of the templars was tainted with unnatural vices and that one of the chief secrets of its maintenance was the facility it afforded to debased men for the gratification of monstrous propensities that this was the opinion which prevailed in paris at the time of the outburst which finally led to the suppression of the order there is no room to question it is easy to understand how the horror such discoveries must have awakened would lead men to entertain more lenient views with regard to a vice which had at least the merit of being in conformity with natural instinct thus far of paris only during the middle ages as is well known most of the provinces of france were self-governing communities which administered their own affairs and received no police regulations from the crown a complete examination of the subject throughout france would therefore involve as many histories as there were provinces our space of course forbids anything of the kind and we can only glance at leading divisions most of the northern people had adopted partly from the old germanic constitutions and partly from the roman law severe provisions against prostitution but they were nowhere apparently put in force occasionally a notorious brothel-keeper or professional procuress was severely punished but prostitutes were rarely molested in the north and west of france indeed toleration was obviously the natural policy for we are not led to believe that in that section of country the evil was ever carried to great excess in normandy brittany picardy and the great northern and western provinces a virtuous simplicity was the rule of life among the peasants and even the cities did not present any striking contrast in many provinces usage not fortified by the text of any custom allowed the seigneur to levy toll upon prostitutes exercising their calling within the limits of his jurisdiction some old titles and records refer to this practice one sets down the tax paid by each prostitute at four deniers to the seigneur others intimate that the tax may be paid in money or in kind at the option of the seigneur in many seigneuries this singular tax was regarded with the contempt it deserved in the south of france we meet with a different spectacle 
there prostitution had long been a deeply seated feature of society the warm passions of the southerners required a vent and in the absence of some safety valve it was obvious to all that the ungovernable lusts of the men would soon kindle the inflammable passions of the dark southern women public houses of prostitution were therefore established in three of the largest cities of the south toulouse avignon and montpellier that of toulouse was established by royal charter which declared that the profits of the enterprise should be shared equally by the city and the university the building appropriated for the purpose was large and commodious bearing the name of the grand abbaye in it were lodged not only the resident prostitutes of the city but any loose women who travelled that way and desired to exercise their impure calling it would appear that they received a salary from the city and that the fees exacted from the customers were divided between the two public bodies to which the enterprise was granted they were obliged to wear white scarves and white ribbons or cords on one of their arms as a badge of their calling when the unfortunate monarch charles the sixth visited toulouse the prostitutes of the abbaye met him in a body and presented an address the king received them graciously and promised to grant them whatever largesse they should request they begged to be released from the duty of wearing the white badges and the king faithful to his promise granted the boon a royal declaration specially exempted them from the old rule but the people of toulouse no doubt irritated by the want of some distinguishing mark between their wives and daughters and the foolish women by common consent mobbed the prostitutes who availed themselves of the king's ordinance none of them could venture to appear in public without being liable to insult and even bodily injury resolutely bent on carrying their point the women shut themselves up in the abbaye and did their best to keep customers at a distance their calculation was just the city and the university soon felt the effects of the diminution of visitors at the abbaye the corporation appealed to the king and when during the disorders which distracted france at that time charles the seventh visited toulouse a formal petition was presented him by the capitans praying that he would take such steps as his wisdom might seem fit to mediate between the prostitutes and the people and restore to the abbaye its former prosperity the king acted with energy he denounced the assailants of the prostitutes in the severest language and planted his own royal fleurs-de-lis over the door of the abbaye as a protection to the occupants but the people did not respect the royal arms any more than they did the foolish women on the contrary assaults on the abbaye became more numerous than ever the prostitutes complained incessantly of having suffered violence at the hands of wild youths who refused to pay for their pleasures and the civic authorities proving incompetent to check the disorder the prostitutes found themselves compelled to seek refuge in a new part of the city where it is to be presumed they enlisted adequate support among their own individual acquaintances for a hundred years they inhabited their new domicile in peace and quiet the university then dislodging them in order to occupy the spot the city built them a new abbaye beyond the precincts of the respectable wards it was called the chateau vert and its fame and profits equalled that of the old abbaye 
about the middle of the sixteenth century the city yielded to the scruples of some moralists of the day and ceded the revenues of the chateau vert to the hospitals but the grant being made on condition that the hospitals should receive and cure all females attacked by venereal disease it was found after six years trial that it cost more than it yielded the hospitals surrendered the chateau to the city it happened just at this time that many eminent philosophers and economists were advocating a return to the old ecclesiastical policy of suppressing prostitution altogether after a discussion which lasted several years the city of toulouse adopted these views and closed the chateau vert a magistrate high in authority left on record his protest against this course founded on the scenes of immorality he had himself witnessed in the suburbs and country in the neighbourhood of toulouse but the city authorities adhered to their opinion and contented themselves with arresting some of the most shameless of the free prostitutes from that time forth prostitution at toulouse was subject to the same rules as in the rest of france the history of prostitution at montpellier was analogous at an early period the monopoly which the crown had granted to the city being farmed out to individuals fell into the hands of two bankers in whose family it remained for several generations during their tenure a brothel was established in the city by a speculator of the day but the holders of the monopoly prosecuted him and obtained a perpetual injunction restraining him from lodging or harbouring prostitutes at avignon prostitution was legalized by jane of naples just before the session of the city to the pope the ordinance establishing a public brothel seems to have been drawn with care and though doubts have lately been thrown on its authenticity they are not so well founded as to justify its rejection prostitutes were ordered to live in the brothel they were bound to wear a red shoulder knot as a badge of their calling the brothel was to be visited weekly by the bailli and a barber the latter of whom was to examine the girls and confine separately all who seemed infected no jew was allowed to enter the brothel on any pretext its doors were to be closed on saints days and special regulations guarded against the prevalence of scenes of riot and disorder this ordinance seems to have remained in force during the whole occupation of avignon by the popes and its penalties were occasionally inflicted on offenders but if petrarch and other contemporary writers are to be believed the city was none the less a refuge for debauchees and a scandal to christendom petrarch complains that it was far more depraved than old rome and a popular proverb confirms at least in part his opinion there were however in some southern provinces severe laws against prostitution although some of the penalties seem to have been framed as much with the view of stimulating as of repressing the passions in one or two cities we find accounts of prostitutes and their customers being forced to walk naked through the streets by way of expiation in others the punishment of the iron cage was inflicted on pimps and procuresses when a procuress had rendered herself particularly obnoxious she was seized stripped naked and dragged in the midst of a great crowd to the water's side there she was thrust into an iron cage in which she was forced to kneel when the cage door was closed she was thrown into the river and allowed to remain under water long enough to produce temporary suffocation this shocking punishment was repeated several times 
a potent influence over the morals of the southern people the higher classes at least was exercised by the institution of chivalry it was of the essence of that institution to promote spiritual at the expense of sensual gratification the chevalier adored his mistress in secret for years without even venturing to breathe her name for years he carried a scarf or ribbon in her honour through battle scenes and dangers of every kind happy when after a lustrum spent in sighs and hopes the charmer condescended to reward his fidelity with a gracious smile it is evident that sexual intercourse must have been rare among people who set so high a value on the merest compliments and slightest tokens of affection nor can there be any question but the effect of chivalry was to impart a high tone to the feelings and language of society and to soften the manners of all who came within its influence if on the other hand we glance at the literature which flourished in france during the period of the revival of learning we cannot but infer that the morals of the people at large were not pure during the thirteenth fourteenth and fifteenth centuries the standard reading of the educated classes among the french was the celebrated roman de la rose a work of remarkable talent but at the same time distinguished by a cynic vein of philosophy and a singular obscenity of language no portion of that work was wholly free from lewd expressions and it would be impossible to quote fifty lines of it to-day in a modern language the doctrine of the author with regard to women was insulting and cynical they were uniformly depicted as being restrained only by legal difficulties from giving way to the loosest passions and all men in like manner were painted as seducers adulterers and violators of young girls such was the reading of the best society in france the roman de la rose was to them what shakespeare is to us nor was it alone of its kind of the works which that age has bequeathed to us nearly all attainted with the same grossness of language and pruriency of idea all or nearly all breathe the air of the brothel it was rather a matter of boasting than shame with the authors villon and regnier seemed to plume themselves on their familiarity with scenes of debauch and their extensive acquaintance among the prostitute class the best of their works are descriptions of episodes of dissipation their most lively sketches have prostitutes or their fortunes or their diseases for the themes they seemed to fancy they were imitating horace when they borrowed his most odious blemishes some of them were actors as well as poets and used the machinery of the stage to disseminate their lewd compositions though it was still unusual or even unlawful for women to appear on the stage in their time the boys who played female parts were well drilled to the business and the performances which delighted the towns and villages of france fell but little short in point of grossness of the theatrical enormities of the imperial era at rome one may form some idea of the popularity of erotic literature at this period in france from the amazing vocabulary of erotic terms which is gathered from the works of rabelais beral de verville regnier brantome and their contemporaries there was not a form of lewdness for which an appropriate name had not been invented and as to the ordinary acts and instruments of prostitution a dictionary of synonyms might have been compiled without embracing all of them monsieur dufour in his conscientious work fills a couple of pages with the mere words that were employed to express the act of fornication
many events likewise indicate a loose state of morals the history of the incubes and the succubes filling some space in every treatise on demonology is a most curious feature of the morals of the day the existence of demons who made a practice of assailing the virtue of girls and boys was admitted by some of the fathers of the church who quoted the words of genesis in support of the singular doctrine they were of two kinds incubi from the latin incubare male demons who assailed the chastity of girls and succubi female demons who robbed boys of their innocence the old chronicles are full of accounts of the mischievous deeds of these evil spirits as might be expected the incubi were more numerous and more enterprising than the succubi for one boy who confessed that a female demon had attacked him in his sleep and compelled him to minister to her sensuality there were a score of girls who furnished very tolerable evidence of having yielded their virginity to creatures of the male gender who they were satisfied could be none other than devils the ecclesiastical writers of the period have preserved a number of scandalous stories of the kind which were so well credited that pope innocent the eighth felt impelled to issue a bull on the subject and provide the faithful with an efficacious formula of exorcism females most of whom appeared to be nuns confessed that they had been subject to the scandalous visits of the demons for long periods of time and that neither fasting nor prayer nor spiritual exercise could release them from the hated plague some girls were brought to admit a similar intercourse and were burnt at the stake as partakers of the nature of sorceresses married women made similar confessions they stated that they were able to affirm that intercourse with demons was extremely painful that their frigid nature combined with their monstrous proportions rendered their society a severe affliction independently of the sin it was noticed that the women married or single who applied to the ecclesiastical authorities for relief from this curious form of torment were almost invariably young and pretty in the year sixteen thirty seven a public discussion took place at paris on the question whether there exist succubi and incubi and whether they can procreate their species the discussion was long and elaborate it was conducted by a body of learned doctors in the presence of a large audience composed partly of ladies and while the judgment of the tribunal appeared to be in the negative it was not so emphatic as to settle the question even a century later when one of the royal physicians undertook to explode the theory of lewd demons and to prove that girls had endeavoured to conceal their intercourse with lovers by attributing to them a devilish character the public was not convinced and the incubi were not left without believers the laws still pronounced the penalty of death against all persons male or female who had commerce with demons another practice which was brought to a close about the same time was entitled le sabbat des sorcières the witch's vigil it appears that at the earliest times of which we have any record the inhabitants of france and germany were in the habit of frequenting nocturnal assemblies in which witchcraft was believed or pretended to occupy a prominent place in the thirteenth century they were denounced by pope gregory the ninth who was satisfied that the devil had to do with them and that their prime object was the gratification of sensuality 
his bull did not attain its object the witches meetings were still held or believed to have been held throughout the fourteenth fifteenth and part of the sixteenth centuries the popular belief was that the persons in league with witches anointed their bodies with magical ointment bestrode a broom and were forthwith carried through the air to the place of meeting that satan was present at the ceremony in the form of a huge he-goat and received the homage of the witches and their proselytes that songs and dances followed next in order and that the whole performance was closed with a scene of promiscuous debauchery the inquisition took the matter in hand and obtained affidavits from several females averring that they had had commerce with demons on these occasions and relating with singular crudity the peculiar sensations they experienced on the strength of this evidence prosecutions were instituted and many persons were condemned and executed it has been usual in modern times to regard the persecution of the witches as a proof of the barbarous intolerance of the ancient church but in truth a careful examination of the evidence leaves no room for doubting that witchcraft was only the cloak of real vices most of the persons who were burned in france as sorcerers had really used the popular belief in magic to hide their own debaucheries and had succeeded in depraving large numbers of youth of both sexes it was stated by a theological writer of the time of francis i that in his day there were one hundred thousand persons sold to satan in france allowing for some exaggeration it must still be inferred from this statement that this form of prostitution had assumed alarming proportions nor is there any good reason for doubting but priests and other persons of lewd propensities turned the simplicity of the village girls to account in very many instances and richly earned the severe penalty that was inflicted upon them by the arm of the church the vigil or sabbat disappears from history during the sixteenth century that it had been for some time before its extinction a haunt of debauchees and a fertile source of prostitution the writers on demonology and the old chroniclers establish incontrovertibly other aids to prostitution were obtained from the very ranks of the church during the middle ages numbers of strange sects appeared many of which relied for success on the favour they allowed to sensuality at the present day it is not easy to determine what proportion of the stories that are in print respecting many of these sects were the fruit of sectarian jealousy on the part of their rivals some of them were doubtless calumniated but there are others about whose character and practices there is no room for controversy the flagellants for instance who counted eight hundred thousand proselytes in france in the fourteenth century were unquestionably depraved they marched in procession men and women together through the cities of france each member of the society using the whip freely on the bare back of the person before him and at night they assembled in country places and proceeded to more serious flagellations the opinion of learned persons ascribed erotic effects to these flagellations it being said apparently with truth that when the flagellants had excited their senses by their discipline they gave way to frantic debauchery however this be it is plain that the spectacle of naked men and women marching in procession and scourging one another cannot but have been provocative of prostitution 
Another similar sect was the Adamites, who argued that nudity was the law of nature, and that clothes were an abomination in the sight of God. It is said that, at first, the Adamites insisted on nudity only during their religious exercises, and that their proselytes stripped themselves within the place of worship, but one, Picard, who became a leading authority in the sect, took the ground that their principles should be carried out boldly in the face of the world. He and his followers, male and female, accordingly appeared in the streets in the costume in which they were born. The Inquisition very properly laid hands on them, punished some, and exiled the others. Again, if we pass from individual accidents to the state of society at large, we shall find many features that cannot have been aids to virtue. Allusion has already been made to the obscene character of much of the early poetry of France, and to the excessive grossness of those works especially which obtained and perhaps deserved the widest popularity many of the customs of the day were equally averse to sound morals to cite one by way of example on the jour des innocentes which fell on the twenty eighth of december men were allowed to invade the bedchambers of girls and if they could find them in bed to administer the chastisement which used to be common in schools hence arose the proverbial expression donner les innocentes à quelqu'un which meant to birch a person on the bare skin no doubt the old chroniclers were justified in saying that when the girl was worth the trouble the invader of the chamber was not satisfied with inflicting a chastisement marriages were attended with ceremonies far grosser than any that were practised in rome it was not only decorous it was fashionable both for men and women to spy out the bedchamber of the newly wedded couple and the fortunate man or girl who had contrived to see the interior of the room through a chink in the wall or a hole in the door was loudly applauded when the result of his or her discoveries was made known the invention of bridal chambers is therefore not original in america as some have supposed strange to say neither the lewdness of the poets nor the grossness of the social habits of the times strikes one as more singular than the tone of the sermons which were delivered in paris at the same period one of the most famous preachers of the day was maillard who rose to eminence under louis the eleventh his sermons on the luxury and corruptions of the times were very popular we find him cursing the burgesses who for the sake of gain let their houses to prostitutes vultis vivere de posterioribus meretricum he cries indignantly he denounces with extraordinary virulence the crimes of impudicity which are committed in churches and which the pillars and knave would denounce if they had eyes and a voice he did not spare his congregation turning fiercely to the women who sat before him he apostrophized them dictatis vos mulieres possuistis possuistis filias ad peccandum vos mulieres per vestros traitos impudiae provocastis alios ad peccandum et vos macruelle quid dicitis he thunders against this latter class, the procuresses, who ought, he says, to be burned at the stake, especially when, as is often the case, they are both the mothers and the vendors of their daughters. 
words fail him to denounce the intercourse of abandoned women with ecclesiastics he invokes the divine wrath upon those of his congregation quidant corpus curialibus monachis presbyteris both he and other famous preachers of the day pronounced maledictions upon lewd convents which some of them say are mere seraglios for the bishops and monks where every abomination is practised it was estimated at this time say the fifteenth century when paris was comparatively a small city it contained five to six thousand prostitutes who were said by an italian to be far more beautiful and attractive than any prostitutes he had seen elsewhere end of section eight